um, that she has these fit shoes that, like, she would wear them, like, for 15 minutes, and then she would have to sit down. Well, that's the kind of shoes I'm wearing today. So what, that's good for you, though, because that guarantees that I will not go long, right? Sorry. It guarantees I won't go long, right? So we'll be in and out of here pretty quick. So we're good to go. All right. So Pastor Dave has um, challenged us um, over the past few weeks in choosing second and what that kind of means throughout our lives. First was that we need to choose second to God, and second, we need to choose second to others. Jesus said exactly this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39, when he stated, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Really simply put is love God and love others. And in the process, choose second, Right? So before we get into this, let's go ahead and pray so that we can really hear from God and uh, that the Holy Spirit will just come into this place. Father God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just fill this place up. God, I already know that you've been working on us. I know you've been working on me as I've been prepping this. But Father, I pray that you would show us very clearly and distinctly how we need to choose second place in our own lives and then how to activate that and be motivated by that. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. So the fact is, is in order for people to really know Christ, right, and to really desire to come to know Christ, this is like, you know, before they've accepted him into his life, they really need to see these two things played out by us, the ones who are, you know, claiming to know Jesus, is that we love Jesus uh, first and that we love others before ourselves. Because that's really the best demonstration of, of what we say that we do, right, and of our salvation is that. And so the, the thing that I wanted to kind of talk about today was what would happen, like what would it actually look like if we did choose second place in our lives? How would we live that out? What would it look like if we actually put skin on our words, right? And then second is, is this actually a mandate given to us by God? Or is this something that we can kind of choose? Is it a suggestion? Can we kind of work around it? So we're going to jump into um, Matthew 25, which I'm pretty sure that Jesus gives us a really clear answer to these questions. Because I know that there's a lot of us that are like, you know, if it's just a suggestion, that'd be great. Because sometimes this makes me a little uncomfortable to do some of these things. I know I've been there, right? Um, but I think that he's really clear in what he's going to say Matthew 25. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. If not, I think it's going to be up on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, go ahead and raise your hand and Josh is going to bring some of those Bibles around. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to keep this Bible. It's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take it. Um, Make sure to have fun with it and mark it up and all that kind of good stuff. If you do have a Bible, though, at home, maybe just give that one back to Josh at the end. All right, so Matthew 25, 31 through 46 says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or stranger, or needing clothes, or sick in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You guys feel the weight of that one? Holy moly. All right, so before we jump into this scripture to kind of, you know, pull apart the meats of it, I want to give you guys some context to what's going on. Um, Jesus is actually speaking this about two days before he's going to be arrested. So he knows that, that his crucifixion is near, and so I'm sure that there was um, kind of a weight to this for him in that he's talking with his disciples and really knowing that his time was coming short in terms of prepping them for life after he resurrected and went back to heaven. Um, He had also just been in the temple kind of going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees who were the major religious guys of the time. And he had really confronted them on the massive hypocrisies in their lives, okay, which, you know, of course made them very happy. And um, they were excited to have that conversation with him, right? So... Um, he had kind of left them in um, a place where they were not real thrilled with him, and they had started against him already. Um, and then as they were walking out uh, of the temple, he and his disciples, the disciples started talking about the, the, um, the temple and, and mentioning the, how it was you know, built and things like that. And he said, just note this, because when this all goes down, not even one brick is going to be laid in place. It's all going to be torn down. And so that they kind of spurred this conversation between the disciples and Jesus. And they asked him, okay, so uh, you're going to leave, and then you're going to come back. Um, what's that going to look like, and when is the end of the age? You know, because they're curious, because they know he knows. And so, of course, you know, we're curious, right? We're curious beings, and we want, we want the answers. And so the disciples are asking him this. And that's what leads into this. And prior to this, too, he starts kind of telling them and giving them a breakdown through parables. Well, parables are just little stories that use, you know, commonplace things for people to understand. So he he talked two parables before this, explaining the end of the age. And then he goes into this one. This section of scripture, though he's talking about sheep and goats as the imagery, is not a parable, okay? This is actually going to happen. This is a real deal. It's it's an event that's going to take place. So with the parables, it's a lichen, you know, like, you know, this is like this and this is like this. He doesn't say that. What he actually says, and I want to point out to this, is the language that he uses in which he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. So he's saying, at the end of the age, at the final judgment, okay, this is the final judgment seat. This is what will happen. And so you need to be prepared, and the people that you are ministering to, you need to prepare as well, okay? So this is serious business that's happening here. And Jesus is breaking this down for them because he wants them to be prepared, right? Jesus doesn't leave us in a lurch. He doesn't say, um, so yeah, follow me and good luck with figuring what that you know, looks like. 
he tells us really specifically how we can come to a close relationship with him and his father, right? So you can see through the language that this is something we need to pay attention to, expect, and plan for. The other significant thing that we need to understand is why Jesus chose the imagery of the sheep and the goats, right? Because, um, you know, especially the sheep being the righteous ones and the goats being more the evil of the two, you know, like they're the Darth Vader of the story. And so um, he uses these two things because, again, these would be common, this would be common imagery to the disciples during this time period because, you know, everybody either knew a shepherd or had been a shepherd or, you know, had shepherds in their family and they dealt with goats and all that kind of stuff. Nowadays, not so much, right? We're not really kind of dealing with the sheep and the goats so much. And to be honest, I have a kind of a hard time being likened to a barn animal only because they're dirty, filthy beasts. And um, I like to be clean, I'm just saying. But um, for them, for them, it was um, very understandable. And Jesus always speaks to us in a language that we're going to get, right? So for the disciples in this time period of sheep and goats, for us, it's going to be something else. He's going to speak your language. And today, I'm hoping that he's going to speak to your heart in a way that's going to um, activate you also. So that we have like a, a little bit of uh, insight and a background of these animals, I'm going to give you a little bit of factual um, stuff that you can actually take um, to dinner parties sometime and, and share with other people, just so you know. So the sheep, they are intelligent yet quiet animals. They're submissive but persistent. They are herd animals that protect each other. They are loyal and strong. They are easily led, trainable, and come when they hear the shepherd's call. That's an interesting fact. And their nature was definitely one of second place. You know, we always think of sheep as being stupid, you know, like because they'll follow each other off a cliff. But really, it's because they're loyal. They just want to go with their friends, right? They don't want to be, then be alone. But they really are actually very intelligent animals. They know their shepherd's voice, and they, call, they do come when he calls. And they're easily trainable. You can make them do tricks and stuff. You can look that up on YouTube, just telling you they're there. But you can see little, little lambs jumping around and doing tricks because they're trainable, right? They're teachable. They have a teachable spirit to them. Goats, on the other hand, totally different beasts, okay? They are pushy, self-sufficient, and headstrong. They wander off and are difficult to herd because they all want to lead. If you watch them in a herd, well, not really a herd, there's kind of a grouping, they're all trying to jump in front, of you, in front of each other. Also, too, if you've ever, like, gone to, I don't know, a zoo or, you know, farm or whatever, see that these little goats are always butting each other in the head because they are quarrelsome, right? They like to fight. they got hot tempers. So, um, for instance, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever been to a, been to a petting zoo and, and maybe put their kid to the petting zoo goats, and some people see little goats, and they'll butt the child in the chest and knock them down. Um, I've never seen that happen to my child, but maybe somebody else has seen that happen to their Goats are kind of punks in, in, the, in the scheme of the barnyard animal situation. And in general, Jews really hated, you know, the Jewish people really hated this idea and the imagery of a goat because to them it represented disobedient and undisciplined lifestyle. They saw them on a regular basis, and they saw how unruly and wild they were. And it wasn't good to be called a goat. It was actually um, a, very, um, a very bad thing to be called, you know, you dirty goat or whatever, you know. So it was, it, was a, it was not a good thing to be a goat at all. And they obviously did not choose second place in their lives. You can see why this would be such a stark contrast for Jesus to use and really effective because, again, the disciples knew this. They knew this imagery well. And because the sheep were so very different from the goats, it would be easy for the shepherds to separate them out because the sheep would call, you know, he would call them and they would come, and the goats would just run amok, 
right? Little wild, wild things. So in this, in this scripture, when it talks about the king, that's actually Jesus, okay? He's identifying times where he identifies himself as the king. And it's, again, because he's talking about the final reign, at the, you know, the final judgment seat, and when the end of the age is going to come. And so he's telling them, I am going to be the king. So it's because of me and my decision as to what goes down. So in verse 34 through 36, he calls to the sheep and he tells them two things. <clears throat> he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then he goes after they, you know, are kind of curious as to what, why. And he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Really, he told them two different things through his interaction with the sheep. Is one, that they were inheriting the kingdom. Because they did those things, they were then going to inherit the kingdom. Now, when he's talking about the kingdom, because this is sitting at the final judgment, he's talking about the kingdom that he is going to establish after he defeats Satan at the end of time. Okay? So this is like the final showdown happens. Jesus is king. And then he says, and by the way, you all get to reign and rule with me because you have done these different things. So he couldn't just let anyone lead, right? When you're thinking about good leadership, do you tend to go towards the characteristics of a goat, that they're unruly and they're wild and they're headstrong and they're stubborn and frustrating? Does that sound like a good leader to you? I mean, they're not choosing to put anybody before themselves, right? It's not. And so when he's saying, you know, that because you chose to put people before yourself, because you chose to be second and be in second place, you're inheriting the kingdom of God, and you're going to reign and rule with me. And because God, God's economy ultimately is love, because of how they loved others, is why he said that they were being blessed with this inheritance. That's huge. Because as sheep, if we choose to be sheep, we will be part of that reign and rule. We'll also get to be um, in that position of inheritance that Jesus bestows upon us. And that's exciting. And that's really exciting. So then he tells the sheep, the second thing is that he mentions is that um, they were chosen, like I said, because of how they fed the hungry and the thirsty. They took care of the strangers, gave clothes to those who needed them, and looked after the sick and visited those in prison. That's really a specific. I also think, though, that um, because of what, what James says in the first chapter, I think also, too, the widows and the, the parentless or the orphans kind of go into that list, too. How do we take care of them as well? But ultimately, it's how they chose second place to God, how they loved people, and then did something to make that love a tangible act. It's so much more than just our words, y'all. Right? It's what do we do with those words to put in action. How can people really know the love of God unless they feel it, see it, experience it, right? God's relational. He doesn't sit on high, throw down some words, and say, have at it. He says, be together in community. Do this thing and show others how much I love them by how much you love them. And that's what he was saying that the sheep had done. And that's why he was inviting them and wanted them, right? It wasn't that he had to. He wanted them to come and rule with him into eternity. The interesting thing is that when you look down at the response of the sheep, is that it's one of, like, because they said, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry 
and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we um, see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Ultimately, the question of when did we do all this stuff? Like when? And they're literally asking the question of like, when did we do this for you? Because I don't remember seeing you, and I think I probably would have. And here's the thing is that a lot of these people he's talking to never would have seen him physically. Because remember, this is the end of the age. Jesus has already come, been on earth, died on the cross, resurrected, been in heaven, right? I him. I know he exists. I know he is my savior, but I've never physically seen him. So they're, they're asking the literal question of, when did I see you and do that? Like, when, when did that happen? So it was kind of a, a surprise and a confusion. But then it's also mirrored in a sense of humility. Because the reality is, is that the sheep, this is purely and naturally an outpouring of their salvation. It's a, it's a natural outpouring of their faith. They didn't even realize that they were doing these things because it's so a part of who they are. It's woven into the DNA, very DNA of their being. So when they were asking, when did we do this? It's because it's like it says, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. They didn't even know. They didn't remember because they weren't seeking and doing this for acknowledgement or confirmation or the gold star. They did it because it's just what they do. They see somebody in need and they serve that need. They see somebody in pain and they, they, they work to help them, right? All of these different things. Think about how many times in our lives we come across people who are in need, the least of these, okay? And they may not always be the least of these, but sometimes the person is the least of these for a season and sometimes for a long time. But how often do we see the, the least of these in our lives, whether it's we pass them by in a grocery store or they're in our families, <laughs> um, and we either minister to them or we turn our backs? I think it's really hard in our families sometimes because we see the history that goes with some of these least of these situations, and it hardens us a little bit. I'm not going to lie. There's people in my family, God bless them. But um, i got to pray from afar, you know. But this really challenged me in that. Is it's not just the least of these that we don't know. It's the least of these in our backyard. It's the least of these that are in our bloodline, right? And sometimes it's the least of these to serve. But he's challenging to that. And he's saying that the sheep have done that well. So in their response of humility and surprise, he makes it very clear that whatever they do and whatever we do for the least of these is not an option or even a suggestion. It is a mandate. It is a mandate. Hear that very clear. It is not an option or suggestion. It is a mandate. That means that this is part of our everyday walk. This is part of our salvation, right? Works don't give us our salvation. Our Jesus as our Savior does. But how does that salvation present itself? How does it work itself out? It's through serving the least of these. And that's what he's saying here. It's very clear. So then he speaks to the goats in verse 31. In verse 41, excuse me. And um, this is where it kind of goes from all like cute and like, wow, that's so pretty and that's nice. And then it turns dark, like real quick. So in verse 41 he says, Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Holy moly, ouch. 
can you want to be hearing? Like, when you can't do nothing else about it, right? End of the age, it's the final judgment, right? Over everybody, not just at that point, but from all of time, okay? They're at a point where they can't change this judgment. And he tells them, depart from me. And this is also an interesting, with the sheep, he called them close, right? He called them to him because he trusted heart and move away and to immediately like a skip of a beat he told them and this is where you're going to go the other, I, I was talking with some people and they kind of had an issue with the whole idea of the hell issue right is it not working sorry I thought I was going to be like Britney Spears <sighs> all right then um <laughs> I felt so fancy with my headset and everything um so what did I say? <laughs> Threw me all kinds of off, John. It's all right. Um, okay, so he's talking about hell, right? So, and, and, and it's phrased nice. It's a little bit prettier, like, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That still sounds really bad to me, I'm just saying. Um, but hell was not created for humans. Let's be really clear. God did not create hell with the intention of humans ever going there. It was always created initially for Satan, who was a rebellious angel, and then all of his other rebel angels. And God said, okay, if you're not going to hang out here with me and be submitted to me, then you're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a place that's really, really bad to go that you don't even want to be a part of. That's where you're going to hang out. So hell was never created for humans except by our choices. Okay? That's what gets us there. It's not by God's choice. It's by our choices. That's what, puts, that's what can put a person um, into the place of eternal fire. Okay? And that's not a place we want to be going. So as Jesus um, continues to talk with the goats, he says, um, he starts listing off all that the sheep had done to him by proxy of doing it to the least of these, but he gave the same list to the goats as what they had not done. So with the sheeps, sheeps, it was an encouragement. It was a good job, you know, attaboy kind of a thing. So proud of you. Let's go, like, rule a kingdom together. And with the goats, it was the complete opposite. He, he named off the same exact list, but it was the had-nots. You have not done this for me, and you did not do this for me. Okay? So when they saw those in need of food and water, clothes, or a place to stay, they did nothing. When they knew someone was sick or in prison and needed visiting, they ignored it. When they watched a parentless child or person without a spouse struggle, they turned their back to the need. Ultimately, they chose to live a self-focused life. And the reason I use that term, self-focused, is because I think culturally, we are really encouraged to do that. I think culturally, we are, focused to fo- to, we are encouraged to focus on our needs, first and foremost. And that doesn't mean that we don't do self-care, but we don't have to be self-focused. Because I think that's where the downfall comes. Is that in order to take second place to both God and to others, we cannot be self-focused. It just logically doesn't work out. It's an impossibility. And so the goats were very um, firm in their decision to live in a self-focused way. Because if they had been less self-focused, they would have seen all of the need around them. Or even more than that, they would have not only seen it, they would have actually done something about it. Because there's a lot of times we see stuff, we see it's there, but we choose not to do anything about it. And that's what the goats did so much of the time. Their response to his judgment was also opposite of the sheep. 
because their, theirs was not humility, but of indignation, okay? There was an indignation to their voice. So when they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in a prison and did not help you? Okay, so if you listen, if you look at the way that the sheep said it and then the way that the goat said it, it was very quick. It was very um, frustrated. And it was almost flippant in the way that they stated it to him. Because for them, they had done what they thought was all right, right? In the eyes of, you know, they had, they had maybe given to charity at some point or whatever. But the thing that they forgot to do or chose not to do were the things right in front of them. The people that they would pass on the street or the single mom who needed help, they refused or ignored. It's that kind of a thing that the goats chose to ignore and to not do. The reality is, is the goats are given the same exact opportunities to serve as the sheep are, but they choose a very different response. Let me say that again. The goats are given the same exact opportunities to serve that the sheep are, but they choose a very different response. Because of their self-focused life that they chose, Jesus' judgment is strong and permanent. When it comes to the least of these, we need to be really clear that God does not play. Okay, it is no joke. Because the least of these are the ones that um, are the least of these. They're struggling. They can't, they, they are struggling to do it on their own. They can't do it on their own. They have been marginalized. They've been abused. Whatever it is, we are in a position that we can help, and so we should help. Okay? And so when God sees it as a heart issue. Now, here's the thing. N- not everybody in here has won the Powerball. I'm just going to be clear. And if you have, my name is Marlia, and I'd love to talk to you. Um, but just because we can't give money or we can't give hundreds or thousands of dollars doesn't mean that we can't serve our time, that we can't show love. Because here's the thing about it is that, like I said, it is a heart issue that God looks at. How do you serve, and what is your heart in it? Is your heart saying, I want, it, I want everybody to see that I'm doing this, that I'm doing this for recognition, or is it that you're just doing it because you see the need, you see the hurt, you see the pain, and you want to minister out of God's love into that situation? It's a heart issue. It all comes down to a heart issue, and that's what God looks at most. So in verse 46, it says about the goats, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Like I said, doing unto the least of these does not gain us our salvation. Giving our lives over to Jesus does that, right? But it definitely goes hand in hand because it is absolutely the evidence of it. How we love is evidence of how Jesus loves us. If you know that God loves you as much as he does, there's no way that you can contain it. In essence, we need to be sheeps versus goats in our lives. This also doesn't mean that we aren't called to speak the gospel because I know that there was somebody when I was talking to them about this, and they're like, well, does that mean that we don't have to actually preach the gospel then or, like, talk about it? We just have to go do action? No, Um, because it it says in Scripture that we are to be ready in and out of season with why why we have a hope in Christ, 
right? So you need to be ready with that. But let's be really clear because Jesus is certainly being clear here that all of this is um, really putting our faith in action, and that's what he desires. He wants us to put skin on our words and make it tangible. So part of what I really wanted us to see today is not only to identify where are we being sheep and are we truly being sheep and maybe where do we have some goat tendencies in our life, but I really want us to go out of here feeling activated and challenged. And so are you guys ready for a challenge? Yo, you're laughing. That's not good. (laughs) Come on. So as I was preparing for today, I really felt like God was saying that we need to look at the least of these in our backyard, right? Right here. And then we can look at a widened global view, right? But there are some really great stuff. There's some really great stuff going on right here in this church that you can literally contact these people before you even walk out today and ask them how you can be a part of it. Because again, this whole situation of being sheep and doing unto the least of these is not a suggestion. Remember, it's a mandate, okay? So we need to work this out. But um, several things that are going on. First is there are some um, papers in the back, and it says contents for backpack supplies. Who here is part of the men's ministry? Raise your hand. Don't be shy, boys. Raise your hand. Okay. So everybody look around where these hands are raised. If you want to know more about how you can help contribute to backpacks that they are giving out to homeless, then you need to see one of these guys. Because this is a great new ministry that is really, in fact, you know, ministering to the least of these. And it's fairly easy. You can go through this list and find stuff in your house. You can go to the Dollar Tree and find a whole bunch of stuff. But this is something that our men have um, felt like God is calling them to. And so we need to support that ministry, right? And that's also a way for you to serve the least of these. So talk with them. Love, Inc. is a nonprofit that is here on our campus that works with homeless also, but also families that are struggling. If this piques your interest, if you want to be a part of this or volunteer, they actually do like, you know, Christmas events. And they do different events that you can volunteer at. You can talk with Aniko. Raise your hand, Aniko, in the back. Or you can also talk with Kamea Aloha. I don't see her here today. But um, you could talk with either of them, and then you can get more information about that. That's a great ministry. And then how about our very own children's ministry? Okay. Desiree um, does an amazing job with our kids, but she is always, always searching for solid and you hear that word, solid, volunteers, right, for children's church, children's Sunday school, um, Wednesday night, Awanas, VBS, different events that's coming on. If you feel like you could um, love on some kids, then you need to talk with her, okay, because that truly is seeing the least of these, the little ones, and showing God to them in a way through love. So talk with her about that. Student ministry. Gabby and her team does an amazing job Um, ministering to our kids. My daughter loves the youth group. But what if God has put on your heart and has prepared you to be a sounding board and an encourager to junior high, high school, or college-age students? You guys come with life experience that they have not even thought about yet. What if you could speak wisdom into their life? Consider that and talk with Gabby. Also, too, we have um, Wesleyan missionaries around the world that we support And part of that is not just financial needs. They also need to know that they are remembered and that they are um, prayed for and loved. And one of the things that our missions team does is they write letters to them and send cards. So if that's something that you would be interested in kind of finding out more about our missions and what they do there, talk with Katie Taylor um, because she kind of heads that up and you could um, get involved in that. 
Also, too, people that have illness, whether it's in this church or outside this church, you can sit with them, pray with them, walk a journey with them, right? Because sometimes what they need most is just somebody to be in the room with them, right? Just to show that they are present and available. So be looking at that. And sometimes what they really want is chocolate cake. Make that happen too for them, okay? Other things like prison ministries. If you um, feel called to prison ministries, there's um, ministries called prison fellowship you can get involved with. Lots of great stuff like that. Um, also, too, checking in with the widow, the older widows and widowers, you know, taking in their garbage can for them, fixing a faucet, um, buying their, gro- you know, getting their groceries for them, hanging out, have a cup of tea. Um, my mom is a kind of a younger widow, and so she would kind of laugh at that whole thing. But what she would dig is just to um, be checked on sometimes and just say, hey, want to encourage you, love you, and um, you want to go grab something to eat, okay? Um, also, too, kind of in that same vein are single parents. I think they are kind of unsung heroes in a lot of times, and they struggle in silence much, much often. And so um, how can you support single parents that you know, whether it's offering to babysit their kids so they can go, like, hear themselves think, or maybe you can run errands so they can actually be and spend time with their kids because I know that that sometimes is a struggle. Um, and then here's one that is, we've seen worked out and played out in our church right here is the whole idea of um, the least of these as uh, kids that are parentless and the foster-adopt situation. Um, did you know that if every church in America, um, one family in the church, foster-adopted a child, that we wouldn't even need the foster system any longer? That's crazy, right? So also, too, don't think you're off the hook just because Dave and Des have taken care of our church with Jacob. You're not. But what if God has put on your heart to either be a short-term loving home for a child until their family situation gets figured out, or maybe you're going to be called to be that forever family for that kid? Who knows? But even if you're saying to yourself, you're out of your mind, Marlia, that's crazy town, what if you prayed for the people who are being called to that and encouraged them and support them in that? Okay? That is a huge support to them. There's tons of other things that you can do. Get together in community and talk about how can we serve the least of these because there are so many opportunities within this congregation, outside of this congregation. And really what we want to do is minister to those outside too so that they want, they're drawn in to the body of Christ. That's huge. Before I close and send you all hopped out, I'm ready to, you know, go be sheep and stuff, which hopefully you will be. Um, I really want to take it back to some basics really quick. Um, In order for us to truly be sheep and to live an others-focused life, we have to first know who King Jesus is, and we need to submit our lives to him. We need to ask him to truly be our guiding shepherd, right? And so if you've never um, given your life to Christ and you're feeling like the Holy Spirit is is prompting you in that, in just a minute I'm going to pray and give you an opportunity to do that. Some of us, though, however, have been Christians maybe for a month, maybe forever it feels like, and you've never really fully committed to living a second-place life. And you're really feeling that you want to start that change today. I'm going to also give you an opportunity in a moment to pray. You know, Jesus was clear in what separated the sheep from the goats. And now really it's our choice which one we're going to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for calling us to be more than self-focused goats, but that we can actually demonstrate your love to the struggling and the marginalized by our actions as sheep. Help us to put you before ourselves and to put others before ourselves, God. Help us to um, be models of what second place life looks like. 
If God is calling you to make a new commitment today, I just invite you to pray this in your heart. Jesus, I fully surrender my life to you. And I commit to seeking out ways that I can demonstrate your loving salvation to others. Come into my life and help me to follow you all the days of my life. And if you're one of those who want to recommit to, um, or just fully commit to living a second place life, in your heart you can just pray, God, I have known you, maybe even for a while. God, stir up my spirit and help me to recognize the areas that I need to step it up in being a sheep, to being second place to others. Let me see the opportunities that you're laying out before me and then to have the courage to move forward on those. Thank you, God, for these chances and opportunities and for your grace. We thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've accepted Christ today for the first time, we really invite you on the um, tear-out cards. Just let us know because we'd love to connect with you. Um, And also, too, if you feel like you'd like specific prayer, um, Pastor Paul will be available for you to do that. And I'll also be back in the corner if you would like specific prayer. So let's go ahead.